0: swivel who doesn't love a good box whether it's the cardboard boxes you save because they might just be good for something someday or the perfect container to hold the protein bars you were really into for a hot minute or in my case a great storage solution for action figures it's hard to pass up boxes We like them because they keep things together. They reduce mess, they keep things safe. It's also easier to throw things in a box than to work out whether you need to keep them or not, which is pretty much my solution to tidying. But that's a problem for another day, or most likely for my children to sort out when I'm gone. But it's not just things we like to put in boxes. It's people and work and often our own ideas. Some people fit well into a particular box, they follow a conventional career path, stick with one discipline, and there is absolutely nothing wrong with that. When you talk to a founder, however, that's probably not the story you'll hear. Some founders have to go through a lot to break out of the boxes that people try to keep them in, and some just don't pay them much attention. Either way, it's that willingness to step outside of the box of conventional thinking that leads to good business ideas. And when you're prepared to throw the box away, you can do more than create a successful business. You might just make the world a better place. From Swivel Media, I'm Scotty Allen, and this is Starting Line, the new founders podcast, where we talk to established and emerging founders, and we start from the beginning. My guest for this episode has created an unconventional business in a conventional field by not caring a whole lot about boxes. I'm Nick Hunter. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Paper Moose. Owned and operated by Nick and his business partner, Josh Flowers, and based in Sydney, Australia, Paper Moose is a full-service creative agency delivering film, content, motion graphics, design, VR, installation, and experiences that help brands create engaging dialogue with audiences. Nick's early years set him on a path of not doing things in a conventional way.
1: I always really enjoyed school. I wasn't an A student or anything like that. I I coasted through. I enjoyed history and I I was a bit of a sponge for any kind of interest, what what I considered interesting information and learning new skills. But I didn't like maths. I hated maths. Just (laughs) anything that I couldn't understand what the practical application of, I mean, it was I don't know how I could possibly have thought that I would know what would have been useful to me at that point, but I I certainly didn't think it was useful. Dad wanted me to be a pilot, so he was disappointed when I dropped maths, but I was never probably going to do that. The school that I went to had a really great arts program. I did all of the out-of-school musicals and and drama and theatre shows. I had a great drama teacher in high school that really ignited the passion in me for um, acting and performance. But at the same time, out-of-school, I was also making stop-motion animations and short films with friends. So I, I guess all of my time was pretty much occupied with
0: making things. I could make a whole podcast about math in schools and how the way we teach it is completely wrong and how numbers are pretty much evil and unnecessary, but I'll just sum it up by saying that I was a theatre kid too. As Nick neared the end of high school, he grew ready to make some changes and learn new things.
1: I was always curious about learning new skills and I did drama and art and all of the subjects that they tell you not to do for your (laughs) HSC. I dropped maths, but I did physics. Not all of my decisions in my life made particular sense, but I think I've always followed things that I found more interesting. Towards the end of high school, I was really excited and ready to get out. I couldn't wait to go to university and leave home and I think it was itching for adventure. I studied at Charles Sturt University. I'm not sure if the course still exists, to be honest. Um, Down in Wagga Wagga. So I moved down to Wagga Wagga for three years and, yeah, had a a great deal of fun and, you know, learnt my craft and and minored in uh, animation and special effects. So I, I was making films when I was in high school from quite a young age. I was always interested in film and creating stories and storytelling.
0: If you're listening from outside Australia and you're wondering if you misheard something there, No. Wagga Wagga is an actual city name. It comes from the language of the Wiradjuri people, who are the traditional owners of the land, and basically means there are a lot of crows here. Anyone who lives there or knows it just calls it Wagga, but it's not a stutter. There are actually two Waggas in the name. When acting school finished, the realities of the industry Nick had chosen started to become clear. The most difficult thing
1: when I got out of acting school was that just the total lack of control. You're at the mercy of a network that... I wasn't tapped into, I didn't go to the most famous acting school or anything like that and yet the lack of control was incredibly frustrating and I felt like, well, maybe I can, maybe I can change that by making my own work as I was always very proactive, like I did every single unpaid play. The first year I was out of acting school, I was, Basically, surviving on catering from all of the non paid short films I was doing. I was doing like three films a week. It was insane. I wasn't making any money. And then I'd, you know, I'd work at the pub at night and, you know, I wasn't getting a great deal of sleep. So I had stints on Home and Away and Packed to the Rafters and a couple of features and whatnot. But, you know, the, the pay for all of that is just minuscule.
0: Lots of ads. I've, I've been in heaps of ads. Acting is a tough industry to break into anywhere and the opportunities in Australia are more limited because population-wise it's a small country and so most of our actors either end up playing Americans on American TV or staying in Australia and working out how to create their own opportunities.
1: So I met up with a couple of friends of mine that were out of work, musicians, writers, all of these artists that were also having similar struggles in the industry. And we just started making our own work. We wanted to make sketch comedy series. We were making short films. And so that's kind of how Paper Moose began. we, We started with the goal of making entertainment and making people laugh.
0: Once Nick and his friends had drawn together the skills and equipment they needed to create their own work, ideas began to form about ways they could use all of this to generate income by producing content for others.
1: My now wife, one of her friends suggested that we actually put in a, a tender for the city of Sydney for a, a little corporate corporate t- sort of talking head video about 10 years ago now. We'd never really thought about making money from, from our filmmaking in, in a commercial sense. And... So, so we pitched and we quoted way under probably in, anyone else would have and because uh, we just had no idea what the value of anything was and we were just making things for the fun of it. So I guess we applied the same craft and craftsmanship to the, this corporate video that we would a short film or a sketch or a piece of art.
0: So... This work turned into more work, and the content they were focusing on would come to inform not just the brand of Paper Moose, but its values as well.
1: So we quickly became the City of Sydney's kind of go-to people for any kind of comms, whether it was around the cycleways or figuring out how to get people to change their behaviours with their their waste. We did a lot of work with the Zero Waste team, and a lot of it was really branded content before we knew what branded content was. And, And from there, we just we realized that we could actually make a living from making entertaining commercials and content that sort of changed behavior. And uh, we started working with creative agencies. We added a designer, we added experiential, digital. And then a couple of years ago, we were working with a lot of creative agencies, making branded content and all sorts
0: of television commercials and that kind of thing. For Nick, there was a clear connection between his acting experience and exploring human behaviour to create effective advertising.
1: I, I think what I always loved about acting was stepping into someone else's shoes and understanding why that character made the decisions they did, what, what were the choices that were underlying it. I've always really been interested in that um, element of acting and really it's not dissimilar to now when I'm trying to put myself into the shoes of a customer, why do they make this choice over another, why do they make this behavioural choice, why do they litter, why do they do these things, and trying to unpick that. It's always been helpful in that way of understanding, I think, the customer
0: in a lot of ways. Like most startups, Moose took time to become a full-time gig, and looking back, their early setup sounds pretty interesting.
1: For the first couple of years of Paper Moose, uh, I was still behind the bar because we were <laughs> making a huge amount of money. We were working out of a garage and we would built a, a like a little studio in a garage below a violin shop that one of the original founder's parents owned. And, and we brought clients there. I don't know what they must have thought when they were going into this industrial area to do a talking head video. But it was just in a total naivety and I was like, why, why would they care what this experience is like as long as the product at the end is good but but i shudder to think it's like something out of Dexter yeah we had like Clover Moore came it was just bizarre to think back at it
0: as for where the name Paper Moose came from
1: look i really need to make up a, a good story of uh, the name because in reality it came from drinking under a big cardboard moose head in in a pub before we had an office that the other names were far more ridiculous but we felt like Paper Moose was a little bit left of field. It felt crafty. It felt we don't have any connections to Canada. There's little rhyme or reason in it, to be honest.
0: We started off this episode talking about boxes and the traditional agency model is a pretty big one. Very quickly, it became one that Nick and his team were keen to break out of.
1: We were initially a production house. So we were um, creating content for a few direct clients and working with creative agencies to produce their television commercials and branded content. We were so often pitching on unpaid pitching, like the industry is set up so that production companies just pitch for creative agency work and none of that time is paid and quite often the the work itself is not guaranteed, the idea hasn't been signed off with the client, or the the creatives that have come up with it, It, it's just not even possible within the realm of physics. It was just getting increasingly frustrating pitching for work for creative agencies. So I, I guess I saw an opportunity that we knew how to make all of these things and we were also very creative people and so we thought why are we working with creative agencies why don't we cut out this middleman and and go direct to client so 3 years ago we started working directly with clients we thought that there was a real need in the industry to to bring that gap between the idea and the production of it together and So we're doing strategy, creative, all the way to uh, delivery to media agencies now. So yeah, that was a big jump for us because we cut off a large income stream as well. So it was, I guess, a calculated risk, but it's proven really it was the right decision.
0: A key factor that has helped Paper Moose evolve into the business it is today is the collaboration between Nick and his business partner, Josh, and the fact that Josh was willing and able to take on the math side of the business. I really need a Josh. Josh is
1: the chief commercial officer, which is basically ops and financial sort of rolled into one. He's he was he came out as a sound engineer and a musician at the beginning and he was an incredibly smart guy and basically decided that no one else in the team is going to figure out how to do the finances and the accounting side of things, so I better do it. So he basically got a one-on-one dummies book from a library and and taught himself the accounting side of the business and yeah, so thank God (laughs) because that was not going to be me. So I was always the the salesperson and, and from a creative side, I was the main film director in the beginning and I produced a lot of the
0: work and even edited and animated some of the initial stuff. While Nick and Josh now operate Paper Moose as a duo, the original group of founders was bigger, and they were young, and they didn't have business backgrounds. And well, as you might imagine, some of their early decisions don't make a lot of sense in hindsight.
1: There was five of us at the very beginning, and we just divvied it up equally between the five of us, which was ridiculous when you look back at it, because we didn't know what we were getting into, we didn't know what each other's role was going to be, we didn't vest chairs or anything like that. We just like, oh, well, we'll each pull our own weight, which never
0: ends up happening. Some startups spend so much time in their setup phases worrying about problems that they're a long way from having and wanting to get every I dotted and etc. other letters and punctuation, that they never actually make it to the starting blocks. They die under the weight of the paperwork they did to prepare for things they never accomplished. On the reverse, some founders perhaps don't spend quite enough time on the finer details, and Nick and Co. definitely fell into that category.
1: We were just at a, you know, a coffee shop one day and it was like, oh, should we incorporate? Yeah, let's do it. Oh, who's going to do it? Well, Nick, I was pretty much the, <laughs> the leader back then as well and I think we were thinking that it would just be under my name and then one person said, oh, well, I think I should also have a part." and then everyone said, then we're like, okay, well, let's just divide it equally and we went went up to into the city and just signed it up without a, a second thought. So that's a crazy way to start a business. But I think, oh, Supercom, you never think that you're gonna have an issue with one of your, your good friends and all of that kind of thing, and you never, you, you can't predict these things. So over the years, each of those shareholders have dropped out and bought them out. But I am grateful that we managed to in, in get to where we are fairly amicably.
0: It seems hair-raising when you hear it told like this, but these sorts of experiences are very common. So it's worth mentioning that if you are in a similar space or planning to be in one soon, there are businesses and consultants that specifically work with startups on setting up equity and employee share plans. Listen to my chat with Steve Grace from the Nudge Group in episode five for some examples. With a clearer and more focused structure in place, Nick and Josh began focusing on the transition from production house to agency.
1: We started pursuing direct clients and direct client pitches while we were still working with creative agencies. We didn't turn off the taps. So we did a couple of sort of proof of concepts, I suppose, to ensure that, yeah, we could do it and we could be successful in it and it would be profitable. And then so we slowly, so, the, the, so we, 70% of our income was coming from creative agencies. And, and by the end of the transition of about 18 months, it was about the reverse. And that's where Paper Moose has really come into its own because ideas and great strategy is awesome, but if you can't execute it, then it doesn't really mean anything. So we try and bring the gap between those two things so that you're basically reducing the risk of this beautiful idea falling over. We have in, in our ideation sessions, we have creatives and the producer that will be executing the piece of work in those sessions so that we're not coming up with ideas that we can't execute. We know exactly that we can do it within time, within budget, and just as from an environmental point of view, but there's just a huge amount of waste in, in, in the industry and time and money gets poured into things that are never going to happen.
0: Having come into their work from outside the agency system has given Paper Moose an advantage when it comes to taking unique approaches to meeting the briefs of their clients. It's their ability to look at things differently that led to one of their most well-known campaigns.
1: We didn't come from a traditional background. We generally approach these types of comms in fairly left-of-field ways, which I think has always been a little bit of a mark of Moose, of... We think about things of, well, does it need to be an ad? Can it be a video game or can it be a, what ways can we reach audiences that add value to their lives because nobody wants to watch an ad? Or or if if we are going to give them an ad, can we make it entertaining? Can we make them laugh? Can we make them feel something? So I think that's always been a key to, to this. And obviously with government campaigns, fairly conservative, relatively bureaucratic process, So when we proposed Don't Be A Tosser, I think it was probably fairly out there and the client was awesome and incredibly brave to back this idea and and recently in Feb we actually launched an experiment extension of the campaign which was this wonderful music video of a lobster singing an 80s rock ballad to all of these litterers to plead with them to actually put their rubbish in the bin and it went on nova and it was a really fun animated music video and a whole series of collateral as well Of oh, don't be a tosser yeah by rage against the polystyrene was the band's name was in the style of an 80s rock band. Yeah, so we wrote the music and we created the track ourselves in the style of an 80s rock ballad.
0: This sort of innovation has led not just to successful campaigns and more business, but a reputation for left field creativity as an agency. In fact, it's led Nick and Josh to question the term agency altogether. There's
1: lots of different flavours of creative agency and, and we don't even, we don't really love the word agency. I, I think it's... But we use it because it's probably the best descriptor for what we are and what we do when people are looking for us. But really we're a creative company that solves problems and creates opportunities for companies and helps accelerate companies that are doing the right thing and in particular around ethical capitalism and and purpose-driven businesses.
0: The work Nick and the team have done around environmental issues hasn't just shaped their reputation. It's developed their worldview and their goals for what they want to be as humans and as a business.
1: A lot of the work that we have done in the past has always been about making change, um, positive change around whether it was around the environment. The early work that we did with the city of Sydney was in the zero waste team. So I became you know, really keenly aware of resource recovery and understanding all of these details. Uh, a lot of our NGOs and, and charity partners that we work with. And, and I think as creatives and as advertisers, we we work in a really powerful medium and we live in an ecosystem that is a bit of a dichotomy, like, yes, we have to sell more things and, and invariably it's quite difficult to come to terms with from a moral point of view sometimes. So the work that we do is all about trying to champion businesses that are doing good and a and balancing that sort of triple bottom line of obviously they have to be profitable otherwise they can't do the work that they're doing but also helping them to make a positive change in the world. So Felix, our telco client that we work with, we've built them from scratch and they're a carbon neutral telco that plans a tree a month for every active customer. So. They're a great example of big businesses doing right for their customer while also being profitable themselves. We don't work with fast finance. We don't work with mining. We don't work with anything that doesn't, gambling, we don't work with anything that doesn't align with our values. We'll say no to and have done in the past. We're in the process of becoming a B Corp. So we've gone through that process and it's a grueling one that goes all the way down to the details of our company constitution and it it ensures that we exist for the benefit of not just the shareholders but also for the the employees and the world at large. Well, (laughs) I just think it should be everyone's responsibility where we are at now. I think business is the most powerful vehicle of change that we currently have at our disposal and I'm deeply aware of my my involvement in that ecosystem and so we don't have any faith in government to make the changes that are necessary. I, I recently became a father and I want to ensure that my son has a world that is as great as the one that I grew up in and I don't see any reason why... We can't be both profitable and make the world a better place than what we had. I I think that's an old world of of thinking. And I don't think there's really a place for organisations that aren't of this mindset.
0: A key example of how this perspective informs the values of Paper Moose is the fantastic initiative they introduced in 2021, which sees them putting their money where their mouth is
1: we launched a initiative earlier this year called uh, buy one give one under our change makers positioning and essentially we're donating creative resources to any organization that is helping decarbonize the planet so one of our commercial clients buys a campaign off us we will then give an equivalent amount of time to an organization that's uh, working to really solve some of the big problems you know, that we're facing in the world. So, for example, one of them is VOW. They're a cellular agriculture business, so they're trying to solve where our protein's going to come from in the next 50 years in a sustainable way, and that's deep tech. So we're trying to help them go to market and land that change and, and get people to adopt this new technology and help the food industry become more sustainable. So, the change maker positioning is all about making positive change in the world through creativity. And so, we're doing that through our commercial clients and our beneficiaries now. So, we're putting our profit, money where our mouth is, and ensuring that we can make as much positive impact as possible.
0: The growth of the business has meant expansion, and expansion has meant facing the challenge of growing the team while maintaining the culture.
1: The most challenging thing was finding the right people and as we grow, ensuring that the culture remains the same as well. We've grown from a group of five founders to 34 uh, full-time staff now and we work with 378 contractors last year. So it's quite a big enterprise and I guess maintaining that the culture remains the same and and the values. So we've done a lot of work on our processes and, and values in the last 12 months just to ensure that the business can exist beyond uh, me pushing it up the hill not that I'm going anywhere but I think that's the goal is to make sure that It it can exist beyond both Josh and I and and that it will exist for many years. I I, I think that's because particularly when you have core people within the business, making sure that it is sustainable beyond those core people as you grow is the most difficult thing. And figuring out what it is about the formula that, that works so that you can maintain it.
0: Considering how unconventional Paper Moose is as an agency, I asked Nick what the transition was like for people coming to the business from more traditional companies.
1: I think some people might struggle if they've come from a very big agency um, environment and they come into Moose because we do things differently. And you have to think a little bit out of the box in the way that we approach opportunities. I think particularly senior people, that it expect to be able to give a lot of orders and not really get their hands dirty would struggle i still do i'm in heaps of creative ideations i love being on set i even get onto the editing tools every now and then i don't ever want to lose touch with all elements of the business i i know how to do i know how to animate i know how to edit i know how to shoot a camera there's not really an element of the business that I don't know and I think that understanding of how everything works to not to a a a professional degree but I understand majority of the elements and that gives me the ability to empathize and understand my team and you know help them where where, where necessary.
0: From talking to Nick, it's clear that he hasn't lost his enthusiasm for learning new things. And that openness informs his leadership style.
1: We're really open and we're very flat structured. And if you don't agree with something, if you see something that you think we could improve on, then tell me. I'm I'm not big enough. I'm not too big to think that we've got everything figured out. I'm the first one to know that there is a million miles on this thing to go. And once we've Figured it out, then it'll be time to shut shop and start something new. I always want to be trying to figure out that next thing and how we can improve and do better and and make a positive impact on the world. I think if you're focused on doing the right thing and creating great work, the work comes. We've had a 40% increase year on year in our growth, and we've never cared. Our focus has never been on profit or on revenue. It's always been on the work and creating a culture where everyone feels supported to, to do their best work. And yeah, you get that right. Everything else comes as, as a flow and effect.
0: I asked Nick for his biggest piece of advice for emerging founders.
1: I would always just say, trust your gut. I think any, any time that I haven't trusted that little niggle in the back of my brain, it's when things have gone wrong. And I guess trust the people that you bring on to, to do the job that you've employed them for we've built everything from first principles so it's always looking at what's working what's not how could we solve this we've very much designed the business from the ground up in that way and and obviously we have lots of people in the business that come from a more traditional agency space now and I think that's really useful in understanding what is the status what is normal what is the normal process how far have we deviated is are there ways that we can invent? new ways of doing things that could make the customer experience even better. How can we create a space for creatives to come up with their best work? I still presume that I know nothing most of the time and not trying to be the smartest person in the room. Yeah, I I think really trying to be that sponge and, and learn from other people because that's the only way you can grow and that's what I love about coming to work every day is that I'm continuously learning and building new skills and as the business has grown I've grown as a person so I'm just really excited about the next evolution of the business and to see where we go in the next 10 years because I mean, 10 years of business is is pretty remarkable I think for, for any business let alone in the creative one where you see agencies come and go within months let alone with a group of people that had never worked in an agency or um, had any kind of business uh, experience or, or, or learnings. So, yeah, I'm, I'm incredibly proud of the what we've
0: built. A huge thanks to Nick Hunter for being my guest on this episode. You can learn more about Paper Moose at PaperMoose.com. This is the last episode of Starting Line for 2021, so I'll take a quick moment to thank all of our guests for sharing their stories and to you, our listeners, for your support and feedback. We'll be back with new episodes in mid-January 2022. If you'd like to pitch a guest for a future episode or give us any feedback, please email startingline at swivelmedia.com. We'd love to hear from you. Starting Line is a production of Swivel Media. It's produced by Phoebe Zukowski-Wallace and me, Scotty Allen. Our consulting producer is Amanda Reedy. This episode was mixed by Rob Clark. Original music by Ash Janif. We had additional assistance for this episode from Ben Chandler and Shirelle Mee. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a positive rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It helps other people to find our show. To find out more about Swivel, our services, and other shows, visit swivelmedia.com, that's Swivel with an O, or find us on social media, and we'll see you there. Swivel.